Champs Lunch! Champs Lunch! What's up, buddy? Hey, hey, look. Hello and welcome to episode two of Champs Lunch, a Schmodown podcast from the hosts of Some Like It, Scott. I'm Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Scott Shelton. Scott, today we're going to be breaking down all of the Schmodown action across the three divisions from the month of March, as well as the first of the big three pay-per-view events of the Schmodown season, the free-for-all. But before we get to that, how are you? I'm doing great, Scott. Excited to have our second official episode of Champs Champs Lunch this month. And, you know, we talked last month how we had such a great start to season six. And the second month, March, this past month, has not disappointed either. You already mentioned the free-for-all, but not just that. We've had some of the best matches in Smith on history just this month, too. Yeah, uh, I think it is the magic season, or at least it has been so far, as uh, as the shirt says that you can you can buy on uh, Tee Public there. But, we, you know, we mentioned this on our... Uh, some like it, Scott episode, our last episode in which we discussed Jordan Peele's Us. Go check it out uh, in this same feed where you're listening to this. But we are actually have some exciting news relating to the Schmodown, which is that we are going to be at the Houston live event in May at Booker T's Wrestling Gym. Uh, and we now know, of course, that that is going to be uh, an undercard of Founding Fathers against Double Toasted and a main event of Ben Bateman against Andrew Guy Action Civil War. Uh, Scott, I don't know about you, but couldn't be more excited about this. Yeah, every day we're we're finalizing our plans a little bit more. We have every all the tickets. We you know just yesterday, as a time of recording, Ellis came out with his his show times for his comedy show on the Friday before the event. We you know we got those tickets now, and it, it's coming, it's happening, and couldn't be more excited about it. Yeah. So with that, why don't we just get into our uh, discussion for uh, the month of March? And I, you know, I talked about it at the start of the show. I think it's the big topic in the Schmodown right now because the video just dropped to the public um, yesterday. And of course, we watched it last week um, on the live stream replay. But you know, everyone is getting around to watching it now. Uh, and that, of course, is the free for all. Many people's favorite event of the year. I think I'm probably in that camp just because of you know the number of competitors you get. Uh, and, you know, the surprises and twists that happen. And I think this year was, you know, complete with all of those surprises and twists and, you know, character, you know, people that we hadn't uh, expect to see maybe do as well as they did um, showing up and vice versa. People who maybe we thought could make a run for the, the free for all title, um, you know, flaming out after one round. Uh, but, Scott, I kind of want to, I guess, uh, to structure this discussion, I want to talk about. Who I think, who I think are some of the top performers uh, from the Schmodown and that, or from the free for all that is, and then you know finally just maybe mentioning some standout moments, whether it's entrances or particular questions or anything like that. But why don't we start at the top uh, with our free for all winner? You know, not quite as big of a surprise maybe as it was last year when when Brian Chandler took home the prize, and that's because the winner of this year's free for all was the goat himself. I think. Once again, he has cemented his GOAT status with another uh, huge win, and that is Dangerous Dan Merle. Uh, what are your thoughts on this incredible performance by Dan Merle? Yeah, absolutely incredible. I mean, there. I think the free-for-all, I honestly, it's hard to remember if there were this many good performances last year in the free-for-all, although I do really finally remember us, you know, watching that kind of through a shared screen method last year. We did the same this year. Dan Merle rose to the top, right? So you you mean we, we have a whole host of other people we're about to talk about in terms of other really strong performers. But, you know, Dan Merle came in, you know, about, you know, second half of, of the run in the free for all of, of the lineup, I should say. And he did the business. He did what he's known for. He talked, you know, after after he won, he, he keeps his streak alive of making Jen Sturger tear up a little bit uh, in their post in their post match in this case post free for all interview and you know he talked about how which is cr- crazy to me right like the Andrew guy entrance replacement of Dan last year was born out of the fact that he wasn't able to make it and how special and important it was for him to be able to be at the free for all this year and you know of course not just be there but also win it and the performance he put in. Uh, outlasting some of the greats when it comes to free for all type events, Iron Match, Iron Man match style events 
between Bibiani and then other really strong players as well. But of course, Bibbs, of course, is the first that comes to mind based on not only his performance last year at the free for all lasting 18 or 20 rounds or whatever it was, but going from, you know, start to the very last round and just not being able to overcome Dan Merle off of one question, just one question in that final round being the difference. It, it was a spectacular performance by Dan and a spectacular performance by a whole host of other people. But to say that Dan is further cementing his, if not the greatest of all time, one of the greatest of all time status is safe to say. It, it's a shame that we never really saw Sam Levine and Dan Merle. Well, I should say Sam Levine at the height of his powers with Dan Merle in the league. Yeah, I mean, I think you're you're right. Uh, we do need to see Sam and Dan. I guess that would be the true test of you know, who is the GOAT, uh, it, you know, watching Sam Levine at the height of his powers against Dan Merle. But again, who knows now, you know, how long, if Sam Levine were to come back, it may take him a while to get back to that point, uh, just as it took Dan a while to get back to this point where he is, you know, back at the the apex of the league. But he's certainly there now. I guess the question now is just how will he use this title shot? You know, will he use it uh, for him and Roca on the Founding Fathers team. Of course, they have a couple of matches already scheduled um, coming up, so it may be that they can get to that title shot on on their own just from those couple of matches. Um, Or, you know, will he hold on to it and use it in case he loses that um, singles title? Because, of course, you know, he will be facing a new challenger soon, either Roca, Bibiani, or uh, Ethan Irwin. So, you know, I guess that's the real question. You know, last year, Brienne waited quite a while before she used her title shot. Um, but we'll, we'll be interested to see how, uh, how Dan uses that shot, because obviously that is the, the main prize of the free-for-all. Yeah, I, my instinct says that he will wait. I think that Dan is the kind of guy who probably wants to earn, feel like he earns his belts. And in that sense, not, not that to say that he wouldn't use it to Try you know if he lost it. Let's say say he and Dan lost in in May at the live event uh, against double uh, double toasted. I think that that's a situation where depending on how that performance goes, you might see him use it to get that title shot. If, if it's a good performance and they just barely lose out, you might see him play the card right. But I you know I also wouldn't be surprised to see him give this to Mark Riley in some in some extent. Say if you know he and Roca lose a title shot to the Shirewolves instead of immediately giving themselves a rematch. He might give it to who's the boss. Like if, well, I say who's the boss, but you, you know, it, it, we'll see how that plays out in terms of kayfabe and, and whatnot, but he might give it to Riley or give Riley a single shot. If Dan were to lose the title and not give an automatic rematch or, or give it to Roka as well. I think that there's a lot of things that Dan can do. And Dan more so than Brianne might be the kind of person who gives that title shot to a stablemate since he ha- does have a stable of teammates. And, and of course, Brianne did not when she won the free for all last year. Yeah, absolutely. You're right in saying that there, I think, are a wealth of opportunities for Dan to give that title shot away. But now let's talk about someone who you've already mentioned. Second year in a row, he won the MVP. But for the second year in a row, despite an incredible performance uh, of trivia endurance, I think you'd have to say, uh, he just couldn't quite come on to- out on top in that final round. And that was William the Beast Bibiani, who drew number one and standing up the entire time, the entire three and a half hours or however long it was. Um, managed to outlast, uh, you know, every other competitor except for Dan. Uh, and, you know, he he had a couple close calls in there, but it really just felt like at a certain point that he was going to be there at the end. He's just very machine-like when it comes to these round one questions. Yeah, it felt like halfway through the event we were talking about, well, you know what, he's probably just going to end up going all the way, just like last year. And he did. He cleared he the d- table at one point. He did yeah. clear the table, although not to as much fanfare as as the infamous XX5XX or, or whatever the exact order of it was when Andrejko cleared yeah. the table uh, of that powerhouse table. And you know what? I think that's probably unfair. It's just because we expect that of Bibiani. And it's not to say that we don't think Andrejko is also a high quality player. It's just that Bibiani clearing the table at the free for all is like, oh, yeah, of course, Bibiani cleared the table, at the free for all. Like he's a machine at those round one questions. And whereas, you know, with Andrejko clearing the table amongst a group of people who are considered to be his equal or better than him at round one questions. That was some, some fanfare. And of course it was the first time it happened. So it's a little bit different, but I, I don't think, well, I mean, I guess we'll see how reactions go since it only was released yesterday to the public, but I feel like there hasn't been as much chatter in the spoiler areas of the free for all that I've seen talking about bibs clearing of the table. And that's p- probably because it's overshadowed by the sheer absurdity of him going from uh, drawing number one to going all the way to the, you know, to the end with the trio of Bibbs, JTE, and then Dan Merle. Of course, Dan Merle coming out on top. 
But yeah, Bibbs, an absolute machine. I'm not his biggest fan in terms of the Schmodown, but I massively respect what he's what he does, what he's able to do. And the recent string of performances say for about the last year that he's managed to put together since the free for all last year when he won that MVP. He had a really tough start to season five in 2018. But ever since that free for all, he's had a few tough losses. Of course, the one that comes readiest to mind is is losing the belt uh, to Roca, although that wasn't a bad performance by him by any stretch of the imagination. But here again, he he manages to get that MVP. And just like we talked about how what's Dan going to do with his title shot? What's Bibbs going to do with his number one contender match? And I'm inclined I'm inclined to think because of his current status in the singles division and honestly in the teams division as well. I think it's it's less clear to me what he's going to be doing with that number one contender spot. I imagine this is going to be another scenario where he it's a wait and see approach. Okay, how are things going to play out? Am I going to win this number one contender match that we're going to talk about when we talk about uncupping matches? Uh, you know, might I use it with critically acclaimed? So you know, we we're going to talk about this match as well. But of course, losing to the Shire Wolves in a title shot, are they going to give themselves a number one contender match, or or will he give Whitney a number one contender shot in singles? I think these are all reasonable possibilities, and and in some ways, I'm inclined to think that given Bibiani's current, again, current status in the league and having a r- really strong performances across the board from his perspective, I wouldn't be surprised if he does give Whitney a shot who had a tough first outing in the singles division against Diamond Dave Del Rio. And it would be interesting to see Whitney in a number one contender match, especially would be interesting to see who he, I guess, would he, would he get to choose who he would pick? I think I can't remember what the exact rules. Yeah, that, that was how it worked last year, I believe. Um, well, no, because Bib, Bibbs played Snyder, who was already going to have a number one contender match. Yeah. So, so I guess he wouldn't get to choose. It would probably just happen at some scheduled point. I mean, this may be where like kayfabe comes in a little bit. Right. Um, you know, they may say, okay, here's where we want you to use the title shot. But, you know, we'll see how that plays number out. Number one right. contender spot. But yes, I think that. Uh, yeah, I, right. I wouldn't be surprised at all. I think I'd be the least surprised of, of the different options if he were to give this over to Whitney if he doesn't hold on to it for a longer portion of time than last year. Yeah, Bibbs, you know, he really bucked conventional wisdom with his performance here, you know, in, in saying that, you know, a lot of people say it's all about the number and the free-for-all, and I think, you know, it's not fair to say that the number doesn't matter at all, but I think he showed, you know, if you have the requisite trivia knowledge and, you 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 know, you have the endurance, it, do, it really doesn't matter what number you draw because you can be there at the end even if you have the worst number of all, which is number one. But somebody who had a much later number uh, and is somebody you mentioned, I guess you could call him the third place finisher in this free for all. And that's uh, someone who was making his return to the Schmodown after a little bit of time away due to a uh, car accident that he incurred uh, late last year. And that's little evil himself, JTE. Um, Great to see him back and great to see him turning out uh, sterling performances again. Absolutely. And similar to what I was talking about, Bibbs. JTE isn't I'll admit is not my favorite competitor of all time of the page. I, I you know I was never a personal fan of the Patriots. Every time someone went up against them, I'd root against them. Uh, that being said, if I had I and you know this Scott, and I'm sure our listeners might as well. Uh, I'm sure I've talked about it before, but I you know of the two Patriots, I do like Snyder more. And we will talk about Snyder a little bit later, especially he had one of the better entrances in the free for all and one of the better costumes. But JTE, he's not as rusty as some people might think. He he flexed his trivia answering muscles here in the free for all. Yes, he did come in on the later side and that surely did help him there. I think it's one of those scenarios where if he lasted the same number of rounds and came in on the you know fourth or fifth round of people probably wouldn't be talking about him to be honest, but because he drew a, a later number and he put in the performance that he did, he was there at the end and we're talking about him. And I think that's deservedly so. Yeah, absolutely. He still had to outlast, you know, some very good players in order to, you know, to get there to that uh, spot where he was uh, with Bibiani and uh, Merle. I guess, you know, I guess it's not even fair to say that he was third place because he really tied for second uh, because ultimately I believe he and Bibbs had the same number of points uh, in That's that final round. But yeah, you know, it, it'll it be, uh, again, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how this launches him back into the Schmodown. You know, is he going to be looking for a new teammate? Um, will he, you know, try to make a name for himself in singles, kind of go on a run like he did uh, in season four? It, who, who knows, um, you know, what we'll see from him going forward. But I think this showed that uh, while he was away for a while, he, he didn't have some of the ring rust. Um, that maybe we have gotten with some competitors. Uh, and, you know, you mentioned also his 
partner, uh, his former partner, we should say, on the Patriots, uh, Jeff Snyder. I think you're right to say he had, for me, definitely the best entrance of the whole thing uh, coming out as Donnie Donowitz, the bear Jew from one of my favorite movies of all time, Inglorious Bastards. And he uh, matched it with a performance that I think was was as formidable as that character from the movie, um, lasting a number of rounds, uh, you know, outlasting you know some really top players from Mark Riley, Mark Andreco, John Roca. He he beat out all of them, and though he wasn't able to uh, you know be there in that final group, I think uh, you know his preparation that he, he he went to some extra links preparing going into this, and I think it paid off for the most part. I agree. I think that we, we haven't really seen Snyder in the league since late last year. Honestly, not even that late last year. It's it's going to be just his performances with the odd couple. And granted, you know, the odd couple already has had a match at the start of the season. So it's not like it's his first out of the year, but it's his first time back in singles for a long time. And Scott, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe even that match against Bibiani, that number one contender match. You know, I I like Snyder. I'll admit I'm I'm yeah, I like his personality in the Schmodown. I, I like his personality in real life as well to a point. I think there are times where he goes a little bit too far, but you know, that's the curse of that kind of personality, probably. That being said, his the way that he went about that match against Bibiani, that number one contenders match, but it really left a bad taste in my mouth. And I hope that his somewhat resilient performance here in Free For All three, I hope that it improves his attitude and I hope that he does get a chance to return to the singles division, if he's interested. Of course, he may not be interested in returning to the singles division. We'll see. But it seems like the fr- the idea of competing in the free-for-all and doing well in the free-for-all is something that he was really into and he definitely really prepared for based on the way that he was talking on some Collider shows leading up to it, like Movie Talk. And so I was really happy to see him put in a strong performance. And I just hope that that translates into not just his performance with Mark Andreco and the Odd Couple, although I don't know if I'll be pulling for them in Chicago. Uh, I do hope it also translates to a, a re- reappearance in the singles division. Well, and in fact, we already know that there will be a reappearance for Jeff Snyder in the singles division because of a scene we got in the most recent match um, where we found out that Mark Riley and Jeff Snyder are going to be playing each other in a singles match set up by Sam Levine, of course, the singles commissioner. And, you know, that's going to be, you know, obviously two legends of the Schmodown. Uh, Riley kind of on the comeback tour, trying to get to that title shot in the singles division. And Snyder, you know, like we said, he's he's kind of on a comeback himself after the way that match happened against Bibiani last year. So who knows? Maybe, you know, this free-for-all performance will spring springboard Snyder past Riley. And then maybe, you know, with another win or two, he can be there challenging whoever may be the singles uh, title holder at that point. Yeah, so a great great performance by him, and and you know that entrance was fantastic as well. Um, the next person I want to talk about uh, is someone who obviously is one of the best in the league. You know, in the in the conversation for goat, honestly as well. If you think about you know her domination across the divisions, uh, but someone who has struggled in the free for alls in the past has not gone as many rounds as perhaps you would have expected her to. And that's Rachel Cushing. At this time, however, she didn't have that problem. She was in there for quite a while uh, and, again, outlasted some really strong competitors. So it was good to see her, uh, you know, prove herself once again, because even though she doesn't need to prove herself anymore, there are still a lot of trolls out there who, uh, who seem to feel that she does. And I think this is just another example of why she is one of the elite in this league. Absolutely. I think that she's easily in that GOAT conversation for me easily in the top five players in Schmodown history uh, of all time. You're right that she hasn't necessarily shown off her quality in the free for all in past years, but I'm not, I wasn't surprised at all to see her finally kind of come out of her shell here at the free for all this year, based on her recent teams and and less recent, less recently. So singles performances. So leaving aside inner geekdom, but you know, you know, she's almost getting perfect rounds in every single match that she plays with Clark Wolf at the Shire Wolves. And then even, you know, b- well, before she took a hiatus from the singles division, she was doing it there as well. And so it's, it's great to finally see her show off that quality and that skill that she has in this particular setting, because there's no reason in my mind that she shouldn't have done this last year. And it just by sheer luck of the draw, sometimes it, it plays out where you get on the table with a really hot table and you're you know, just on your first round, you get some tough questions you don't have the answer to. And all of a sudden you're out uh, this year. She drew one of the first numbers. She wasn't obviously number one because that was Bibiani, but she was on that first table with Bibiani. And well, someone we haven't talked about yet, Brendan Meyer 
And, you know, even though she didn't outlast either of those people, she still lasted out. She still lasted a, a good number of rounds. I don't know the final stats. I'll have to get Frankie Anish on that one. I'm sure he's crunched all the numbers already and to, to figure out how many rounds exactly she lasted, but a much stronger performance this year. And it's one of those situations where if she and JT swap numbers, we might be talking about her winning the free for all. Yeah, uh, definitely. And I think also I want to give her a shout out for being the only person to know Bill Nunn's character in Do the Right Thing was Radio Rahim. i kind of ashamed of the other competitors on the table. I forget who all was on the table at that point. Viviani and Brendan Meyer were definitely on the table. Yeah, Uh, but Rachel was the only one who was able to pull that question out. So shout out to her. And so, yeah, so finally, you know, you you mentioned him there. And we kind of see this every year in the free-for-all uh, I think last year's free-for-all in particular was interesting in terms of the number of sort of sleepers that made a run. You know, you think about people like Sean Gerber, uh, Lon Harris was still kind of a sleeper at, you know, at that point last year. Frank Moran, someone who we haven't even seen since then, but lasted Ethan Irwin. eight or nine rounds. And yes, of course, Ethan Irwin as well, who had only played, I believe, one or two matches going into that free-for-all uh, and, you know, was right there with Bibiani at the end in terms of, you know, most rounds stayed in the the competition although neither one of them was able to bring it home but you do usually see you know one of these sleepers obviously everyone remembers john humphrey's performance in the first free-for-all kind of set the stage for this Uh, and i think you'd have to say the john humphrey award for this year goes in a landslide to brendan meyer the kid who was also on that first table with bibiani and went a heck of a long time very impressed by his performance you know he lost that first singles match and i think you know, we see this with competitors sometimes in the Schmodown where they lose that first match and they never really come back. Uh, you know, it's they kind of just get demoralized maybe and feel that it's not for them. And especially, I think, Brendan, someone who was a Schmodown fan, uh, you know, before he was a player, was at a lot of the tapings. I think, you know, maybe after losing that match to Paul Oyama, he might have felt like, well, maybe I should just, you know, stick to being a fan, stick to hanging out there in the studios and watching the matches. But I think after this... Uh, he is going to get some more matches, uh, and he absolutely deserves to. And I think, you know, this performance in particular had to have thrilled him, being as big of a Schmodown fan as he was, or as he is, um, you know, to, to last as long as he did must have thrilled him. And it was a great performance by him. Agreed, yeah. I think that, to your point, exactly what you said, I, he is one of those people who he went up against a tough opponent in his very first match ever in the Schmodown against Paulo Yama. I think... He didn't put in a bad showing. It's just there's always that bias toward when you lose a match, no matter how good the performance is, it always feels like a worse performance than it was. And so that just put a lot of fear in me that he wasn't going to get a second match. And if there if that was true, or if there was a chance of him not getting a second match, I think that this performance completely dispelled that notion. And if he doesn't get another match in the next two months, I'd be really surprised. And I hope that that second match goes better for him. I think that, again, it's not that he didn't have a strong showing in that first match. He pushed Paul Yama a long ways in that match, and it was just a few questions here and there that didn't go his way in terms of what ultimately made the difference. And in that second match, if he has a kind of performance and is as sharp as he was in the free-for-all, I think we'll be talking about him as someone who's one-and-one and one and, and a contender uh, going into the second half of the season. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and, you know, again, very excited for him to come out of, you know, being a fan to, you know, being a successful competitor and someone, who, someone else who's done that. And I, you know, this, we, we, I want us to talk about, you know, maybe some other great moments, other competitors that we haven't mentioned so far. And, and one that sticks out to me, someone else who has come from the fan leagues or, or not from the fan leagues or from, but from being a fan to being a great competitor. And that's Janine, the machine who of course was on that final table. Um, came in fourth place, I guess you would say. And, you know, I think it says a lot to her that when it got down to those final four, her, JTE, Bibiani, Merle, her and three legends of the Schmodown, I think I, you know, I I really thought that any of them had an equal chance of winning. And that says a lot for her. And I think, uh, you know, bodes well for her going forward into her upcoming matches. Of course, she has one this coming week against Stacy. Yeah, I think that's going to be, I think this next match with Stacy, which we're going to talk more in detail later is going to be a big match for her Schmodown career. Maybe, maybe I'm overselling that, but I think so much rides on that match for both players even, but especially Janine and this free for all performance. I'm not sure when the taping happened. My, 
my I suspect that the taping might have happened before the free for all. I could be wrong. We'll see. But if it didn't and it's going and the free for all happened before that taping, I think this free for all performance, even though she only played a handful of rounds, I think that performance will give her confidence going into this match. It's always a little bit strange, right? When you come in towards the end of, of the game. And even if you're on that final table, uh, you, you may have only been in the, in the game two or three rounds before you go out, but it still feels like you survive a couple of rounds. You get down to that last table. It still feels like, you know, you made a big run and you, and you, you build up confidence that way. And I think that this performance, given her up and down performances in the Schmodown, even within matches, in fact, I would say most commonly just within matches, I think that confidence will do her a world of good going into that match with Stacey Howard, former stablemate, big rivalry. And we'll talk more about that later in the show. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Scott, any other moments or competitors that stuck out to you from this great event? Obviously, you know, we can't cover everything because it was such a long event, but anything that uh, we we missed thus far? Not that it's worth talking about too long, but I have to say one of the moments that I was probably most disappointed by this year was Andrew Guy. I mean, the high of last year coming in, for Mm -hmm. me at least, you know, faking, of course, the Dan Merle and then coming in. And even though he didn't last too long last year either, his entrance and his presence was something that stood out and was one of the highlights of that, of that free for all this year. He came out, he just seemed petulant. It was annoying. And honestly, I was really happy to see him go after one round. Yeah. And you know, he's one of a few competitors who, you know, you might've thought uh, was a, you could make a run, but then went out pretty quickly. Of course, his action teammate, Ben, Ben Bateman didn't last very long. Mark Riley seems to be the one who's, mainly cursed by the free-for-all, once again going out after only one round. Um, And then, of course, there there were a number of competitors who also didn't play in the free-for-all that I think would have been in contention. You think about Ethan Irwin and Clark Wolf are a couple that stick out to me. Chance Ellison, another one, uh, who we didn't see. I think, you know, for for whatever reason, they couldn't make it. But, uh, you know, it would have been interesting to see, you know, whether we would have ended up with a different result uh, had any of them been in- introduced into the mold, especially after Ethan's performance last year in the free-for-all. But with that, let's uh, put a bow on the free-for-all and move on to talk about some of the other action within the three divisions that we saw this past month. We'll start with the singles division, Scott. Uh, you know, a couple matches maybe to talk in tandem about uh, those two matches in the gauntlet Um, that is going to lead to establishing the new number one contender in the singles division. Of course, William Bibiani beating Lon Harris, John Roca beating Mark Andreco. The two of them will play uh, uh, Ethan Irwin in a three-way match to see who will face Merle. Um, And, you know, some controversy in that second match, not so much in the first. I think Bibbs kind of handled Lon uh, pretty easily. But, you know, what, what do you want to talk about with these couple of matches? Yeah, you know, I just want to say that I think that the Bibbs and Lon match is, is more or less exactly how we expected it to go. They both had really strong first rounds, I think, both getting six points, and they missed the same questions even, which I think were pretty tough questions, to be fair. And then the, the second round is is where the difference was made. You had one of Bibbs's strength and John Carpenter getting seven points and going four for four for that. But then Lon feeling, I think, a little bit unsure about what to do after I think what might be called a mediocre spin on his first try settled and went with nineties, but it didn't go his way. And he only got three points and, and Bibbs got three points as well off steals from line. So that's kind of where, where the difference made in there. And that's, and that's what you expect in the, in the Schmodown though. It's not necessarily that Bibiani was, you know, a much, much better player in that situation than lawn. It was that second round and in a tough position where you get something that not a strength and not a weakness and you're, scared of scared of the weaknesses that you see on the board and you end up going uh going with it and regretting it i don't know if you have any thoughts before we switch over to roca and andreco yeah i mean you know this is just another one of those matches that shows how important steals can be in the second round i think you know after bibs got those steals uh it was all but over going into that third round when you're facing when when you're facing a, a player of the quality of bibiani although he does have his troubles in the third round uh i think you know you can't fall too far behind uh, after that second round, especially when, you know, the questions are in your court, the ball is in your court, and you need to be taking the points on those. 
Yeah, and you have to. And you know, to be fair though, if roles were reversed, I would have expected Lon to be just as ruthless, and it just as easily could have gone the other way. Yeah, absolutely. That's you know the quality of the players that we're dealing with at this point. Uh, and I think you know we had two more quality players in Roca and Andreco. Uh, unfortunately, the match was a bit marred by some controversy. Yeah. For me, it wasn't quite as controversial. But let's get your take on it first. Yeah, you know. I guess to start with, regardless of how these decisions go, I was disappointed because it, it there was only one question left to be fair, but Andreco just kind of threw in the towel, which I get, you know, I've been in situations, obviously not in the Schmodown doing movie trivia, where I felt pretty dejected when something didn't go my way in a sporting event. And, you know, even though the match wasn't completely over yet, I felt like it was over and, you know, the, the, the game was against me, so to speak. And, and maybe we've all felt that way in different points in our lives, but it was disappointing to see that reaction from Andreco. It reminded me a little bit too much of his odd couple teammate <laughs> Snyder's, although Snyder's is infinitely worse than what Andreco did, in my opinion. That being said, I think Andreco probably was right. I, I agree that uh, when it comes to Schmodown and controversies that we've experienced over the last you know year and three months, this is probably one of the lower ones. But for me, the controversy was around what was Charlie Chaplin's, quote, first true uh, speaking movie or non-silent movie. And what Roca said was the first, the technical first speaking movie of Charlie Chaplin. And when Andreco challenged, he said, oh, well, if it's not that one, then it's this other movie. Which was the right an- which was the right answer to what Andreco was saying, even though he'd given the right answer. It was it's very confusing. But the point is, I I agree with Andreco that the right thing to do there is to ask a new question because just because Roca knew it was one or the other and he got it right because he knew that both those movies and threw them both out doesn't, in my opinion, doesn't mean that he should have gotten the points automatically. It should have been a new question. For the same reason that if he, say if it had switched, Scott, say if he had said the second movie first, and then, you know, there is a chance, like for some reason he got it wrong and he challenged like, oh no, this is the first, basically saying what Andreco had said, right? And I don't think that you then give him the points probably, I think you ask a new question. You don't, you shouldn't get the points just because you know the two movies it could be. You need to know exactly what the movie is. But the problem is the question doesn't make it clear. I'll agree. The question doesn't make it clear which movie it's talking about, and that's why it should just be a new question. Yeah, for me, I kind of think that the end justifies the means a little bit here. Like, I understand maybe that the procedure is in these situations is to give a new question, but for me, Roca did solve the issue by just answering it, you know, there before the challenge was ever even granted. And I think that, you know, if they had given a new question and Roca had gone on to lose the match and missed the question and lost the match. I would have felt very weird about how that went down because he knew the answer to the question. And I think ultimately, you know, that's the important thing, you know, but the thing is that like, the thing is that you like, you don't know that he knew the answer to the question until Andreco is like, Oh no, I think that you're wrong. And then he spits out the other movie that it could be right. Like you, you don't know going like his thought process before he answers the question about whether he was, trying to decide whether it was this movie or the other movie. You, you know what I mean? Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I see what you're saying. I don't know. Again, for me, I think he got the answer right. I think he 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 could explain why he answered the first movie as opposed to the second movie and, you know, why in the other situation it would be the second movie. I think that's enough to say that he knew what he was talking about. And again, I, I would have just felt weird if he had gone on to lose the match after this whole thing. He also would have like absolutely lost his mind. So it's like, yeah, that's true. And <laughs> as he said in the interview, like it was nice to see a challenge finally go his way. Cause it does seem like he is always in the, in the heart of these controversial moments and it never does seem to go his way, but this time it did. And he's moving mm-hmm. on, which I think is the right result. I, yeah. Again, I think that that's, it's fair and it's not that, it's not as controversial as some of the other things sure. that we've seen. Okay, another uh, singles match that we had, you know, a match between two new competitors. Those aren't always like the most uh, thrilling in terms of, you know, the build up to them. But I was excited for this one because uh, it featured someone that I've talked about on some like it Scott before. Uh, we've even played one of his songs, his comedy songs that he made for the movie Ready or, uh, you know, making fun of the movie Ready Player One. Uh, was making his debut in this match, and that's Demi at DJ eBay. Uh, he also hosts a great podcast called Punch Up the Jam, which I highly recommend checking out. Uh, and he was making his Schmodown debut in this match against Liz Shannon Miller, someone who uh, is a friend of Ethan Irwin's wife, Meredith, and who Meredith had said, uh, you know, is possibly even better than Ethan. And 
I don't think that we saw that necessarily in this match, but she did put in a very good performance and came out on top. Although Demi also played well, it was just the third round. He kind of flamed out a little bit. Yeah, I think, again, to your point exactly, it's a tough match. I think I felt similarly to how I feel about Brendan Myers' uh, performance against Oyama. But, yeah, you know, it's tough, right? He got six points in the first round. He did well. He did pretty well on new releases in the second round, went three for four for six points. And, you know, probably just a little inexperience there, not going to multiple choice in the question that he wasn't sure about. And then you have, but you have on the other side of the table, you have lightning, you know, Liz over here who gets seven points in the first round crushes Spielberg, I think. And then in the third round, like you said, Demi cooled off a little bit and, and it made it a relatively straightforward win for Liz in that, in that first, in her first match as well. But it's one of those things where like he has a strong, he has a strong, good personality and you really hope to see him back sooner rather than later. Maybe this is a scenario where he and Brendan Meyer go up against each other. Yeah, I would love to see that. Um, you know, he does do a lot of things in his, uh, you know, professional career. And, and a lot of, you know, they talked about before the match how, or at some point it was talked about how they tried for like over a year to schedule this match. So, and, you know, we're only just now able to do it. So I hope that doesn't mean, you know, that it'll be a long time before we see him again. Because like you said, yes, he does have a good, very good personality, I think, for the showdown. And I think up against a different opponent, he definitely has the the goods to win the match. But Liz Shannon Miller, I think we'll definitely be hearing more of her uh, name going forward. She did do very well. And with the kind of hype that she's had coming into, you know, the match in this season, um, I'd be surprised if she doesn't get a chance at one of those big hitters soon. Yeah, I'm trying to think who makes sense for her to be the next match, but I imagine that it, it's probably someone like Paulo Yama or, or Dave Del Rio. Yeah, no, that would be... Uh, I think those would both be solid matchups based on what we've seen from all three competitors. I think, you know, along with Kevin Smets, the four of them are probably the standout rookies so far that we've seen this year. Yeah, granted, it's, it's hard to say... St- Besides Kevin Smets, who we've gotten two matches out of so far, it's hard yeah. to say any one of them is standout, and ju- just until we see more of them. But yeah, I, sure. I agree that those are the ones that are on our radar right now. All right, let's move ahead now and talk about what happened in the teams division. Scott, the Shire Wolves defended their title. The, of course, the biggest thing that happened in the teams division uh, in a match against critically acclaimed. Uh, this is their second title defense for the Shire Wolves. Uh, you know, they're going for that Patriots record, of course, still a little bit of a ways to get there. They didn't exactly do it in commanding fashion, I would say, but the neither did the Patriots in a lot of their matches. And I think they did very well in terms of getting some steals. You know, we talked about how Bibbs really knocked out that John Carpenter category um, against Lon Harris. And he has said before, John Carpenter is his favorite director here. So when critically acclaimed came up with that John Carpenter category in the second round, uh, I thought they might, you know, run through it with ease, but they ended up struggling. There were some steals from uh, Clark in particular, uh, and, you know, it really set them back going forward, whereas they were ahead after the first round uh, and they were never really able to make up that ground, although they did answer all their questions in the third round and were able to force the Shire Wolves to answer, but Still, at that point, it was just kind of a formality for a team of the Shire Wolves quality. And they defended again, and I was happy to see it for one. I was happy to see the Shire Wolves win as well. It's it, You know, it's a, it's an incredibly high-quality match when after for, after round one, the, the score is 16-14. I mean, it's absolutely incredible, right? Like, in, insane to get yeah. that high of scoring from both teams. And that is, of course, including Bibbs' perfect round plus one, I believe. I think he got... Did, did he and Rachel both get the perfect nine points out of it? I can't remember. Uh, I cannot remember either, but they did both have a perfect round. Right, yeah. But to your point, I mean, we talked about Bibbs's strong second-round performance against against Lon, and in that match, he also spun John Carpenter, crushed it, got you know seven points, and went four for four. In this match, spun John Carpenter, was probably feeling pretty good about himself, and then they only managed to get four points and two out of six and then, of course, as you mentioned, Clark got one of those steals uh, out of the four from round two that, you know, there were some chances to get some more. But you got to say it was a title match. The questions were a hell of a lot tougher than what Bibbs uh, was recently familiar with from his match with Lon. And and I think that left a kind of a bitter taste in Bibbs's mouth because then Clark and Rachel spun two thousands 
and went six for six for 10 points. And that's when they opened up that lead that you described. Like you said, even though the Shirewolves played it safe in round three, betting only one point, they took over in the speed round and really with a, with a, I think it was a seven point deficit going into the final round, even though they nailed all 10, all 10 points of their fifth round questions, their final round questions, they couldn't overcome that deficit because Rachel and Clark are, are of course money for their, for their third, for their final round points as well. And that's no surprise. They're the reigning champions and you know, on track to, to challenge the Patriots record. Of course, it's still early days on that front. They've retained twice. They have a few more retentions to go, but we'll see. We'll see. And I guess we also should say it's a new point record for the Shirewolves. And it was just an incredible performance again, even though it doesn't necessarily feel like it early on. And again, it's weird because 14 points in the first round. Oh, gosh. You'd never think that they'd be down by two after that. And, uh, you know, from there, they they took over the match. And Rachel Cushing, once again, beasting it in the speed round. She's become a pro in that round. Not surprising considering how many title matches she's played at this point. An old veteran. She just needs to get that singles titles mat- t- title match because... She fell short against Sam Levine last year, and we haven't seen her in the singles too much since then. I think we will probably coming up soon. But another, uh, you know, very good match that we had in the team's division. Uh, you know, this might have been the best match of the month, and that was Corruption taking on World's Finest. I think, you know, Corruption came into this match probably as the favorite. You know, World's Finest is a solid team, but, you know, in, in their one match against a you know, a, a really heavy hitter, that being the Shire Wolves, they they lost. And co- go, starting out the match, it looked like Corruption might roll to an easy victory. Uh, Mike had a perfect round. Chance also performed very well. Uh, but then the second round, uh, they had a hard time. They, they ended up with that Kevin Smith category. Uh, I'm sorry, no, the, the world's finest got Kevin Smith, I believe, right? No, no, Ke- Corruption got Kevin Smith. Right, because World's Finest got Bond. Yep. Yeah, sorry, I got it reversed. Yeah, but they, they ended up in that Kevin Smith category. They struggled a little bit. Uh, World's Finest was able to get a couple of steals, and they were right back in the match. They came in with a solid job on the James Bond category, which, of course, you know, Mike was waiting to pounce on a lot of those. Yeah, he only managed to get two one-point steals out of the Bond category, and I think he was hoping for a little mm-hmm. bit more. Yeah, the, the Shirley Bassey one, they should have known that, uh, as far as the only person to, to sing multiple James Bond songs. But, you know, going into round three, close match. Uh, I believe it, Zipper missed his question, um, his three-pointer, which I can't recall what the question was, but something tells me, something in my memory says that Winston actually knew the question, and but Eric didn't. Regardless, they pulled out the five-pointer. Oh, my God, threw the five-pointer was so, it was, it was like, who was the it lead was, actress yeah. in, uh, what was it, Adrift? And I was like, Jesus, how is this a five-point question? It, it's, yeah, it's, Anytime you ask about an actor in a movie, uh, it's going to be an easy question. I think maybe it was a little bit easier for us because we did review that movie on Some Like It, Scott. I think it probably wasn't the most one of the most well-known movies of last year. But still, if you work in the space, if you follow movies, you know that's it's a pretty easy for a five-point question. I'm not saying it, I'm for- not saying it should be a two-point question. Like maybe that's a that's a relatively yeah. more obscure movie would totally feel okay with that being a three-point question. But man, I I. When you compare that to some of the other five-point questions we've seen, it's just like, well, and you see it all the time. I, I'm not calling out this one in particular. We see it all the time. It, it's the luck of the draw. Everyone gets it, you know, randomly in terms of the quality of the questions. We've seen Mike get really hard fifth, you know, five-point questions. And then in this match, you could say they got a little bit of a flavor of an easier one. Not as easy as this adrift question, in my opinion, but definitely easier than some we've seen in the past. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. They also had a fairly easy five pointer about the tagline for the karate kid um seemed like it took them a long time to answer you know it's it's one of those things you don't know whether they were just stalling for dramatic effect or whether it actually did take them a while to pull out the answer i think it was eventually chance who um seemed to pull out the answer yeah, but it was known it all along uh, maybe but, maybe, but i think that chance I, I it seemed genuine I, i'm i feel like i usually have yeah. my bs radar on for these sort of like final question scenarios but it, it seemed genuine and it, it was one of those head scratchers that why it took them so long to pull but thankfully they had a few uh, a few JT rolls in their back pocket left and and like you said chance eventually got to the right answer yeah and uh and so corruption able to come out on top despite some adversity and you know I'd say we'd look forward to seeing the world's finest in some future matches but I don't think we're going to because uh Eric Zipper kind of had a meltdown after the match uh basically ditched Winston is kind of on his own now 
Um, you know, there's some speculation that he may be Stacey Howard's mystery partner that we keep, you know, getting teases for. I hope not. That would, that would be such a disappointment. I'm in the camp where I don't really believe that, especially, you know, after that scene we got with uh, Stacy and Chance, where she kind of whispered the name to him and he was like, oh, like, you know, taking it very seriously. I don't know if that would have been his reaction if it was Zipper. So I, I kind of don't think that that's the case, but it's possible. Regardless, I think we'll see both Winston and Zipper some more in this league. Yeah, you know, I look forward to seeing more of Winston. Right now, though, I don't I'm not, I don't feel invested in Zipper's character at all. It's never that I've had a problem with him before. I'm just I'm not yet into this this arc for him. We'll see if it sells me on the developments. But right now, I'm not that invested. I'll admit it. Yeah. It definitely did seem to come out of nowhere a little bit, but um, you know they've done this with Schmodown storylines before. I don't. No one ever saw Ken going heel coming. I don't think either. And so we'll you know we'll see where they take it from here. But but everyone uh, loves Ken. Like does do that mean people love Zipper? Yeah. Well, that's what I mean. Kind of came out of nowhere, I guess. Um, probably not at this point. You know, he's probably he he hasn't achieved that kind of level of of adoration yet. Um, and I like so Sean Gerber. See, they could do something with Sean Gerber, and I'd love that. I love Sean Gerber. Yeah. We'll see. But a great match and corruption coming out on top to, you know, probably we'll have another number one contender shot pretty soon, I would say. Finally, we had, you know, the probably the first real match of the month was uh, this stipulation match between the team of Ben Bateman and Tom Dagnino against what we thought was going to be the team of Andrew Guy and Robert Meyer Burnett. Turns out that uh, a new team has emerged uh, kind of on, on our last champs lunch. We speculated as to, you know, if and when this might happen. And it little did we know it was going to happen very soon. And that's Andrew Guy and Drew McQueenie, of course, both members of the family now. And looks like they will be a team going forward. And they were able to get the win in this match against Bateman and Dagnino. Uh, you know, I kind of thought that that would happen after seeing McQueenie emerge. But, uh, you know, still a nice fake out uh, from, you know, all the writers and everything. Yeah, for sure. It was a good, it was a good fake out. And considering just a, like a, literally the day before we were talking about whether or not well, or how long it would take for the double drew team up. And it didn't take very long at all. I think it took less than 24 hours from time of recording. And to me, this match was, I guess there was more of a buildup than the actual event, right? Because it wasn't ultimately that interesting of a match to me after McWeenie came out. It was just in the fact that it was happening more than what actually happened during the match. It was a good round for Ben Bateman. He continued his strong run with who's the boss and in singles as well from last season. Uh, And to be honest, (laughs) Bobby Gucci, unsurprisingly, even though he had some great, some great one liners in there, he was kind of a dead weight, especially in the first round, only getting three points. You know, they did okay in round two and they got a couple. I think that the, the two Drews got a couple steals off of new releases, which ultimately kind of put that first nail on the coffin. And then, they really couldn't do much in the way of the third round. And even though it came down to the last question, Audrey Hepburn, uh, who, you know, who I can't remember the exact question, but I think it was, you know, what was ex actress's final movie? And it was, the answer seemed relatively straightforward. Then you have some super obscure pull from galaxy quest about what was the name of some object in it. And I'm just like sitting here shaking my head. Like, well, literally how is this equitable five point questions here? But so it goes, this match is ultimately not that significant in the grand scheme of things, in my opinion. Yes, there's a stipulation involved with now, if Andrew Guy wins that match, that live event match in May, Bateman won't be able to play in the Ultimate Trend on Singles Tournament. And if the result goes the other direction, Andrew Guy will have to face whoever Ben Bateman says next. And that, I mean, that is more interesting because I have no idea who Bateman would even say in that scenario. But this match just seemed like filler for the main event that will come in May. And it was interesting to get the reveal of, of the two Drews playing together as the family. But I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I'm, I'm less intrigued with the outcome of that match. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think, you know, we also talked about last time about McQueenie, how he'd been struggling a little bit in the third round um, and maybe just needed to answer one of those five point questions to sort of get over that psychological hump. And he was able to do that in this. I hope so. I mean, he got a freaking underhanded softball. So also, I think to be fair, it was kind of a question up his alley as well. Uh, So while it was an easier question, 
you know, maybe psychologically that will help him going forward to, to perform better in the third round. But I don't think it's uh, it's usually significant either. So with that, let's move on to the inner geekdom division. Only a couple of matches here, you know, following up from that incredible title match last month. I think, you know, naturally excitement kind of dimmed down a little bit, but uh, especially in our first match that we had, which was uh, two new newcomers to the inner geekdom division, Emily Rose Jacobson and Winston Marshall, of course, from the world's finest, making his inner geekdom debut. And Scott, you know, I texted you after watching this math match and I said, uh, that all I can really say about this match is that it was a match which occurred. I don't know how much more there is to add. Uh, I think that my comment after the match is that I would have walked out early. Yeah, when anytime the winning score is nine points, uh, you know, th- things aren't exactly going great. Um, so while Emily Rose Jacobson did get her first win, um, I think this may be a case where on the basis of her first win, she gets another match and then gets destroyed by somebody like Kevin Smets or oh Mike Kalinowski, and then that's it for her. Honest to because God, like if she gets another match, it has to be someone who, like, who did who did Kevin Smets play? Moore, David Moore. Yeah, that like I'm sure she'd get absolutely destroyed by him. Like I don't know, maybe there's she a scored only there, one like, point in the first if round. She, she so. should not get a match against someone who's won an intergeekdom match. A second match should not be against someone who's won an intergeekdom match. Like for her sake, it shouldn't right. be. She'll get absolutely. Destroyed. I, I agree, but I think that's what's going to happen. Just you know, on principle, could it be like Donica? Uh, Will Donica come back and maybe play her? I don't know. I'm trying to think of scenarios. Yeah, who knows? We haven't heard much about Donica in a while, but you know that's possible. There, God help her. Some if other- she played Smets. Jesus. Yeah, and I think you know, moving ahead to talk about the other match, I think uh, even Jay Washington might be able to beat her. I bet Corey Jandrew uh, could beat her. Quit Andrew won a won a five way or something one time, but did he? I don't know if that's true. He did a couple of years ago. Oh, okay, uh, not recently. in season four. No, uh, but Jay Washington went up against Kevin Smets. Of course, this is a match that where there was a lot of Twitter beef um, going into it, uh, and I think we all we all we both thought that Jay Washington was in over his head. Uh, although I have to say, I do understand his mentality of like I want to make. Smets earn it, you know, before, obviously, you know, everyone's freaking out about him after one match. And, but, but, you know, he, Jay was kind of like, I want him to work his way up before he, you know, gets his way to that title shot, which mm-hmm. he is probably destined for. So I understand that, but uh, Jay didn't really put up very much of a fight in this match. And uh, Smets was able to get the TKO. Yeah. Two points in the first round just usually doesn't bode well for the outcome. I don't know stats on, what's the lowest first round score in an intergeekdom match to win. It's probably from that. <laughs> it's probably from that. Um, the match we were just talking about between Winston and Emily Rose Jacobson. But in this match, you know, two points in the first round, and only five points in the second. It was always going to be a KO when you saw that happen. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. That's what I was gonna say. I got to correct myself. It was actually not a TKO. It was a KO because yeah. we never even got to the third round. Yeah. Smets aced his Harry Potter category in the second round, as well as nabbing a couple steals off of Washington's I can't remember like did he get MCU I can't remember what exactly he got I think he got MCU yeah but yeah it just lined up a KO and and once Jay was already down by three points heading into Smets's round two I was like this match is a KO there's literally no other scenario yeah and you know Smets he doesn't seem to have very many weaknesses that we've seen so far so I think you know when he does play the big hitters in this league we're in for some epic matches Absolutely. It's only a matter of time before he plays Kalinowski. So. Yep. Uh, that'll be sooner rather than later, I think. But Scott, before we close today, let's talk about some matches that we do know are coming up uh, in April and you know, maybe give our predictions on how we think those matches are going to go. The first one, a match we already talked about, Janine versus Stacy. One, still a member of the Viper Squad. Uh, Stacy, a former member of the Viper Squad, now part of Mike Kalinowski's faction corruption, and they will be going up against each other in a match that I'm sure is going to be heated. Uh, and I think is an important match for both people uh, in terms of, you know, get, taking that next step and, in, in, you know, being a, a, getting a chance to, you know, contend with the big hitters in this league. I think whoever wins this match is going to get that chance. Whoever loses uh, may have to work their way back up and it may take them a little bit. Scott, who do you like in this one? You know, it's hard to say. It depends on what Stacey Howard shows up. I think we, we've talked before about how Janine looks 
more and more solid in certain elements of her game in each passing match that we see here, but she still has a few weaknesses, not necessarily related to categories, but related to rounds, right? Like just a little bit of weakness in that round three. And I'm not sure I've seen anything yet to, to say that she's overcome that. And so it'll depend on whether or not Stacy Howard, the Stacy Howard who can upset Mark Ellis uh, shows up as opposed to the Stacy Howard who can blow a three way with Janine and Draco. Uh, last year at the collision, I think that I'm probably going to give the edge to Stacy because I think that this new faction behind her is going to give her a little bit of uh, added umph in her game. I think that it's going to motivate her. She's going to have that new team of people to help prepare for this match. And I think ultimately, I think that might be what gets her over the line, which is why I'm going with her. But to your point, and I know I mentioned this way back when we were talking about them in the free for all. I think that this is just such an important match for both of these players singles careers, right? Like they both are going to end up in the teams division, of course, because Janine is teaming up with uh, Ethan Irwin. And then because we're eventually going to get the unveiling of Stacy's uh, team's partner. But I think the loser of this match might find it difficult to get find another singles match sometime soon. And to your point, it could be a while to work their way back through the singles division. So I think the ramifications of this match are really, really big for these two players singles careers. I agree, but as far as the prediction goes, I'm going the other way. Uh, I like Janine. I think that if you look at the trajectory of the trajectory of these players, I think you know Stacy Howard. Her best win was that win against Mark Ellis, but that's been over a year ago now, a year and a half ago uh, in that Ultimate Schmodown. And since then, I think she's kind of disappointed. Uh, even in the matches that she's won against people like Josh Makuga, she hasn't really lit it up. Um, and you know, her team flamed out really quickly, albeit against a tough opponent in the, when they play the founding fathers, I mean, it's not yes. flamed out. well, but they, they lost the match and they went out early, but, but St- Stacey uh, performed. I mean, I'm just going to stand up for Stacey here. Like Stacey performed really yeah. well in that match and Winston was an anchor. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's probably fair, but still, I think her trajectory, she has been trending downwards ever since that Mark Ellis match. She didn't that's spend fair. a great showing in that, um, free-for-all that we had this past week. And I think that Janine, by by contrast, has been trending upwards a little bit. Um, you know, her first couple matches that she won, she didn't put up great scores. But recently, she has been putting up some high scores, even in the matches that she hasn't come out on top. And, you know, you talk about how she was beating both Andreco and Stacy in that three-way match before the, that third round. You know, then she went up against Chance, kind of, uh, you know, made it a little bit further, uh, you know, answered at least one third round question. Right. Uh, and I think now after the free for all again, you know, we don't know when the, when they were filmed. Uh, but I think the free for all shows that, uh, she's, uh, improved a lot even since that chance Ellison match. So I like her to win this one. Yeah, we'll we'll see. I, I would not be surprised either way. I think it's, it's actually, I think it's quite close to a coin flip. All right, let's talk about the three-way match now, number one contender match in the singles division. Uh, it's been a bit of a, a journey to get here, but we're finally going to get to see John Roca, Ethan Irwin, and William Bibiani face off in this three-way. Three of the best players in the league, and they'll get a shot at the GOAT himself, Dan Merle. Uh, Scott, tough match to pick, but who do you like? Man, it's such a tough match to pick. I think this is, uh, you know, of the coming month, if you, if you take out just the fanfare of the live event, this has got to be the match of the month. I don't think there are any title matches coming up this month besides the Star Wars title match, of course, which is part of that live event. But to, to me, this is the headlining match of the month. And you can understand why, like you said, it's a tough match to call. I, you know, I can literally, I like was thinking about this match. I'm like, oh yeah, Rokal when this. I'm like, oh, but Irwin. Then I'm like, oh, but Bibbs. It's like literally so hard to call this match. Part of me just finds it so difficult to go with anyone except Ethan Irwin. The guy's an absolute machine. He always bounces back from his losses with spectacular performances. You know, he had that loss against Andreco last year, which was to that at that time his first loss. He bounces back and, you know, beats a really, really difficult uh, chance Ellison in that first round of the Ultimate Schmidt on singles tournament. He loses to the, you know, the belt. Uh, in the live event in January to kick off season six to Dan Merle. And I can only think that he's going to bounce back in the strongest way here. I'm going to go with Ethan Irwin. Uh, I think Roka is a close second. I think you see the hunger in him and I think he has the skills, you know, about this time last year, you questioned whether or not Roka was sharp enough. Maybe he was over the hump in his career in the Schmodown based off things that were happening both with top 10 and, and, you know, also the trajectory of his singles career. 
And Bibbs, you know, he's old faithful in the first round, and he's great when he gets the right categories in the second round, and he and he can grind out any pretty much any category on the board. But maybe it's my own bias just against Bibbs, and, and I'll raise my hand and say he's not my favorite character, my favorite personality in the Schmodown. But for me, I only see this going towards Ethan Irwin. But if someone's going to upset Irwin, I think it's going to be Roca. Yeah, I, I I tend to agree with you. Although I think I've you know underestimated Bibiani uh, in the past just because yeah. of his third round performances, and so I don't want to count him out. I think that you know he has as good a chance as the others. But I am gonna gonna agree with you in terms of the prediction and give a slight edge to Ethan. I think in terms of across all three rounds, he has shown the most knowledge um, and, and you know able to handle the higher difficulty questions better than perhaps the other players have. And so I like him, even though it has been a bit since he, you know, played as opposed to the other two who are maybe are a little bit sharper. uh, I can't see Ethan, you know, developing any sort of ring rust. And I like him to move on to get that rematch against Merle. Yeah. There's just no indication to me that Ethan's going to have done anything except study harder for this new rematch. I think that it's, you know, he's, he's a humble guy. He's not going to be too arrogant. He's not going to think that he's, you know, miles better than Bibiani or Roca. And I just see him being just as sharp as ever for this, for this match and a sharp Ethan Irwin. It, it takes luck to beat him. And it's not that Roca or Bibiani couldn't get that luck in this match. I just think that the odds on favorite has to be, has to be uh, Irwin. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and Scott, you know, you also mentioned that live event in Chicago that we're going to be getting and, I want to talk about the undercard match for that uh, particular event, which is a team match between who's the boss, uh, Mark Riley and Ben Bateman, and the odd couple, Mark Andreco and Jeff Snyder. Really high, two high-quality teams. I expect this to be a high-quality, high-scoring match. Who do you like to move on and face the Shire Wolves? To me, I think it's... it's my, well, I should say, I would, I'm going to be rooting for who's the boss, Riley and Bateman. I think that there's an argument to say that they haven't got enough experience this season. We've only seen minimal amounts of both Bateman and Riley. They've been there, of course, but just minimal amounts. Whereas you have the odd couple and then Draco and Snyder, both of whom who I feel like we've seen a little bit more, maybe just because of their free for all performances and being stronger in that free for all. Maybe there's a little bias there. I'll admit, but even though Andreco came out on the losing end of his singles match with Roca, it still felt like a strong performance that, kind of the wheels just came off on that challenge and on that five point question. But to me, I think I'm ultimately going to lean towards the odd couple. I think they've just got a little bit more momentum maybe. And, and that may not be the case because of that singles match and that loss that Andrenko had, but who's the boss. It's going to be such a, an event uh, match. Cause of course you're going to have B- Ben Bateman again, going against a team that's, ma- that's managed by his ex-girlfriend and Roxy Stryer. So we'll see, we'll see if, if she gets into his head in this match. Yeah, I know. For, if, that is an interesting dimension to it, but I think that they, from what I can tell, they remain good friends uh, and talk often. Uh, don't want to dissect the personal lives too much, but I don't think that uh, it's that kind of uh, bad blood or anything between them to where it would get in his head, but who knows? And I think this could be uh, you know, one of the best team matches that we see this year, and I'm going for the odd couple. And I think that uh, what I saw from Jeff Snyder in the free-for-all is enough to... For, for me to make this call, I think yeah. you know both Riley and Bateman disappointed in the free for all a little bit, and I'm not going to say that you know that's going to be the deciding factor. Obviously, you know you get five questions in the free for all, and that's it. If they don't go your way, you know it doesn't necessarily say that much about you as a player. But I think we saw that uh, Snyder, you know, has done a lot of preparation, uh, maybe more than he has ever put in in the past, and Andreco also had a very good run in the free for all as well. Uh, and I think that I like the way that this team is trending with Roxy as their manager, and I'm going to take them to win it. Yeah, no, I agree. I think I think that's the direction I see it going. I'm going to be rooting for who's the boss because I like Ben Bateman and I like mm-hmm. Mark Riley more as a team, but I'm not going to be disappointed because, you know, Snyder, I mean, you know this, I've already mentioned it on the show, Snyder's one of my favorite players. I, I do see the, the quality from Snyder. And we even saw it in the first odd couples match, you know, the, that first match they played this year. Snyder... Not necessarily carrying's not it's too strong of a word, but he really picked up the slack where Andreco kind of let it fall a little bit and showed a little bit of rust in that first in his first match of the year. And I mean, Snyder is is back. Are there are any doubts about how he'd return in this new season? I think he's put those questions to bed. Now it's just a matter of 
you know, can Roxy and can and Draco keep him focused if things start to go against them a little bit in this match? I think that's going to be a huge factor. Yeah, I agree. Speaking of Snyder and Riley, let's talk about uh, their match to close out uh, the episode. We don't have a, a specific date on when this match is going to be. Again, we kind of talked about it earlier. Two guys kind of on the comeback trail a little bit. Riley already has a good singles win this year against Drew McQueenie. And Snyder, you know, a good performance in the free-for-all to, to go off of. So which of these old veterans do you like to uh, to take home the win in this match whenever we do get it? This one for me, I'm going to I'm going to stick with the Snyder side of things here and, and go with Jeff Snyder. I think that we've seen better thing, uh, a better performances from him, even though Mark Riley pulled out a really good win against McWinney. And I was super pumped for that win that he had. I, it wasn't a convincing win. It felt like Drew gifted it to him, even though, of course, at the end of the day, Mark still had to earn that win. It felt like Drew really swung and missed on some questions that he could have gotten and, and closed out that match. And it'd be a completely different narrative for Mark Riley. That being said, the narrative is what it is. Mark Riley's there. He's got the confidence. And I am mad. If this match is coming out this month, I, I wonder if it will record before the live event again, so much of it, I think in terms of confidence and, um, yeah. I mean, confident, right. Confidence going into the match, you know, will it come before the live event uh, or will it come after if it comes after, I think the outcome of that match might greatly affect Snyder's state of mind going into this match. Uh, and then, of course, vice versa for the live event match versus this match. It'll just be interesting to see against Snyder, such a wild card in terms of the head game. If he spins a category that he doesn't like, I mean, he'll I mean, he's shown in the past that he might just throw in the towel completely. The good news is, I think he has a manager in Roxy that will and a teammate in Mark that even though this isn't a team's match, will hopefully try to keep him level headed as much as they can in this match. I'm going to go with Snyder, but again, with an asterisk of anything can happen with Jeff Snyder. Yeah, uh, that's very true. We saw that from that Bibiani match, but I totally agree with you. I think I like Snyder in this match. I, you know, again, I, I do think that win that Riley had was good, but to your point, I think that he was a little bit lucky that Drew McQueenie missed all of those third round questions, something that, you know, nine times out of 10 probably would not happen in a match. Uh, and, you know, Riley was trailing this whole match and it was only after Drew sort of flubbed it that he was able to come out on top. Um, so while, you know, you can, you can, ne you never want to discount someone with the pedigree of Riley, who's been a two time champ, you know, he's achieved so much in this league has so much knowledge. Again, I just like the way Snyder's trending right now. So I'm going to go with him. It'll be interesting to look back this time next month on whether or not we are completely wrong or whether maybe yeah. we we're completely right. I mean, we both can't be completely right because we have some diametric uh, picks for some of these matches. With that, uh, Scott, I think that will just about do it for this episode of Champs Lunch. Uh, we hope that you have enjoyed listening. Uh, if you have and you would like to support Champs Lunch as well as all of the other stuff we're doing here on the Some Like It Scott channel, uh, please consider checking out our Patreon uh, at patreon.com slash media plug pods. Uh, you know, even if you choose not to support us over on Patreon, we hope that you will rate uh, and review and subscribe to the Some Like It Scott feed so that you can get all of the new Champs Lunch episodes, as well as all of the episodes uh, of Some Like It Scott, which, of course, we put out weekly as opposed to monthly like these episodes. So we hope you'll consider checking out our other podcast as well. Uh, with that, Scott, uh, I think we will say adieu for this episode of Ch Champs Lunch until next month. Uh, Enjoy the Schmodown. Uh, let's get ready to Schmodown. Uh, and we look forward to the next episode of Champs Lunch. We hope you do too. Uh, for Scott Shelton, I'm Scott Harvey. We'll see you next time. Champs Lunch. Champs Lunch.